Let's open our Bibles together at this time to the book of Joshua, chapter 13, and verse 1. Joshua 13, 1, for our message from the Word of God this morning. You'll find Joshua 13, 1 on page 273, if... You're using the church Bible this morning. This morning being April 10th, 2022, if you're watching our video or listening to the audio message years from now, this morning's text is going to be in Joshua 13.1, right on down to the end of the chapter in chapter 14 and verse 15. And the title of this morning's message is Joshua's Old Age Project. Joshua's Old Age Project. And we begin with, (laughs) with the story of a young cowboy in Texas who heard on TV one day that if you sprinkle a little gunpowder on your breakfast every morning, that you're much more likely to live to a ripe old age. So he did this religiously every morning of his life. And sure enough, he lived to be 104. And when he died, he left behind eight children, 24 grandchildren, and a 16-foot hole in the wall of the crematorium. Of the, you know. Well... Speaking of living to a ripe old age, as we come to Joshua chapter 13, Joshua has now grown old. But God still had some work that he needed Joshua to do. As we see in Joshua 13.1, where we read, these words. Now Joshua was old and stricken in years. And the Lord said unto him, Thou art old and stricken in years, and there remaineth yet very much land to be possessed. So Joshua's old age project was going to involve going out to possess all of the land that God said still needed to be possessed in the promised land. Now, that didn't mean there were more battles that needed to be fought. Last Sunday, we saw that the armies of the Canaanites all gathered together in one place to fight against Israel. 
and had been defeated. So in the book of Joshua, there's no more descriptions of any more battles. What God was telling Joshua to do here was to to spread out into all of the kingdoms that had sent those armies and occupy the cities of those kingdoms and start building their new life in the promised land. And last week we saw that that final battle was a type of the battle of Gog and Magog. The epic battle that's going to be fought a thousand years after the well-known battle of Armageddon. And folks, it's going to be a battle that will end all battles and finally bring peace to this war-torn planet in the kingdom of heaven. And after the kingdom begins, something we read about in Obadiah 1 and verse 17 is going to happen in your first cross-reference there. Obadiah predicts, Upon Mount Zion, that's in Jerusalem, shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness. So you know we're talking about the kingdom. And the house of Jacob, that's the house of Israel, Jacob was renamed Israel, The house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. That's talking about how Jews in the kingdom are going to possess all the possessions that God promised them in the kingdom. But folks, land isn't the only thing that they're going to possess in the kingdom. There are some other things too. And one of those things tends to make Christians a little squeamish. (laughs) It's something we read about in your next reference in Isaiah 14, where speaking of the kingdom, it says in verses 1 and 2, The Lord will have mercy on Israel and set them in their own land, And the strangers, the people, that's the people of Israel, the strangers, the people of Israel shall take, and the house of Israel shall possess them in the land of the Lord for servants and for handmaids. Folks, the strangers there are the Gentiles. And that means that the Jews, they're not just going to possess lands and cities in the kingdom. They're going to possess the Gentiles who live in those cities and make them servants and handmaids. Now, what do you call a servant that you possess? A slave. But you know... Technically, that's not what they'll be. The only people in the Bible who own slaves are the 
unsaved men you read about in your next reference. The unsaved men who are going to be trafficking with Antichrist Church of Babylon in Revelation 18.13, where it tells you some of the things they're going to be trafficking in. Wheat and beasts and sheep and horses and chariots and slaves and the souls of men. And you know what? That is about the only time in the Bible where that word slave is used. And those slaves are owned by unsaved men. But if you're thinking that calling a slave a servant (laughs) still doesn't make it right to possess people, let me show you what it says in the context of Isaiah 14 in verse 2. And the house of Israel shall possess those strangers, those Gentiles, in the land of the Lord, for servants and handmaids, and they shall take them captives, whose captives they were, and they shall rule over their oppressors. When those Jews rule over the Gentiles in the kingdom, that's going to be just another example of God's perfect eye-for-an-eye system of justice that we've been talking about. As it said there, the Jews themselves were owned by the Gentiles in the past. So there's nothing unjust or unfair about Jews owning Gentiles. But if you're still not comfortable with Jews possessing Gentiles in a kingdom that's supposed to be the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven on earth. Well, let me show you a little more of the context in Isaiah 14, verses 1 and 2 again. The Lord will have mercy on Israel, set them in their own land, and the strangers shall cleave to the house of Jacob. And the house of Israel will possess them. That means that the Gentiles are going to willingly become servants and handmaids to the Jews. You see, the Jews are going to be their teachers in that day, teaching them about the God of Israel. And those Gentiles are going to be so grateful they're going to volunteer to be their servants. Now, if that still doesn't sound very heavenly to you, let me remind you that our Apostle Paul says that the Lord Jesus Christ owns you. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, Paul asks, What? Know ye not that your body, your physical body, is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price, the price being the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that was shed on Calvary's cross. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, 
which are God's. You don't belong to you, folks. You belong to him. He possesses you. And if there was anything wrong with owning people, God wouldn't possess you. It's actually another example of God's perfect system of justice because what does Paul say in Philippians 2, 5 to 8? Christ Jesus took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The Lord Jesus became a servant for you, so is it too much to ask that you become a servant for him? I'll tell you this. It is your only hope of finding any happiness in your life. It's the secret of life, actually, and only God's people know it. All right, after telling Joshua in verse 1 here that there was still much land to possess, in verse 2 he says, This is the land that yet remaineth. All the borders of the Philistines and all Geshuri. And then it goes on to describe the land that still needed to be possessed in the next several verses there. So let's pick it up in verse 6, where it says, All the inhabitants of the hill country, from Lebanon unto Mizrafoth, Maine, practice that name all week, and all the Sidonians, them will I drive out before the children of Israel. Only divide thou it by lot unto the Israelites for an inheritance as I have commanded you. Now, when it says drive them out, we don't have to guess as to how God planned to drive those Canaanites out of those lands and cities. Because that word drive, that's used in your next reference in Exodus 32 in verse 28. This is God speaking and he says, I will send hornets before thee, talking to Moses, which shall drive out, there's the word drive, drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, the Hittites and all the other rites from before thee. Those hornets gave those Canaanites a little attitude adjustment. And as Hank Williams Jr. once sang, it'll work every time. How many of you remember Hank Williams Jr.'s song? Anybody? Eh. See, the problem with you people is you're just not carnal enough. Just... Uh, but hey, listen, Hornets, <laughs> hornets made those Canaanites want to pick up and leave, right? But look what Exodus 23 goes on to say in the next two verses. <clears throat> God told Moses, I will not drive them out in one year, lest the land become desolate. And the beast of the field multiply against thee by little 
and little I'll drive them out before thee until thou be increased and inherit the land. Now you want to talk about a God who thought of everything. That's a God who thought of everything. (laughs) And if you don't think he thought of everything when it comes to your happiness in life, It's only because you still don't know his book well enough. So I'd encourage you to be here on Sunday and crack the book on your own during the week, as I know many of you do. But now, God had to adjust his plan to make the Jews happy because they started to ignore him, frankly, and live in sin instead of living for him. And when that happened... This happened in Judges chapter 2 and verses 20 to 23. The anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he said, Because that this people have not hearkened unto my voice, I also will not henceforth drive out any from before them of the nations which Joshua left when he died. Therefore the Lord left those nations without driving them out. So there you see something that, quite frankly, you see throughout the Bible. Listen, if there's one story that's told throughout the scriptures... One story that's told from cover to cover, it's that sin makes a mess of things. Sin messes up God's plans for you like it did for them. It'll make a total wreck of your life if you let it. But you have to read the the book of Judges that follows the book of Joshua to find out What a mess it made for for the people of Israel. But if you look back at verse 6 in your Bible, God's plan for the people of Israel was for them to possess the land and then divide it up among the 12 tribes by something called the lot, which we've talked about already in this study. We... We think it involves something similar to rolling dice or, or flipping a coin or drawing straws. God Almighty knew that doing it that way, dividing the land up by lot, if he did it that way, nobody could complain that their tribe didn't get the best land in the promised land. God says in your next reference in Proverbs 18 and verse 18, something that kind of exemplifies that. The lot causes contentions to cease. Hey, what could be more fair? We cast, we flipped a coin and that's what we got. Back in 1959, Richie Valens flipped a coin to see who would go on that airplane that crashed 
And he had to stop singing La Bamba the day the music died, remember? How many of you remember Richie Valens and La Bamba? A few more of you. Hey, my faith in your carnality has been restored. Yeah. <laughs> they say that Wilbur and Orville Wright flipped the coin to see who got to fly the first air, the, the plane that they'd built, too. So it's a common thing. But back in Joshua's day, the lot wasn't just left to chance, as you see in Proverbs 16.33. The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. Back in that dispensation, God made sure that the outcome of the lot was what he wanted to happen. Well... The dividing of the promised land into 12 sections for Israel's 12 tribes is now a part of Bible history. But the prophet Ezekiel predicts that that dividing is going to happen again in the kingdom. Look at what he says in Ezekiel 47, 21 and 22. So shall ye divide this land unto you, according to the tribes of Israel. And it'll come to pass that ye shall divide it by lot for an inheritance unto you. So, when the Jews divided the land by lot here in the book of Joshua, that was a type We're seeing many types of the future here in Joshua. That was a type of how someday they're going to inherit the land again and once again divide it by lot. Now, back in your Bible, verses 7 to 12 describe how the Jews divided up some of the land after they evicted some of the Canaanites. (laughs) But verse 13 talks about some people that they didn't evict. Verse 13 says, Nevertheless, the children of Israel expelled not the Geshurites nor the Maccathites, but the Geshurites and the Maccathites dwell among the Israelites Unto this day, Joshua said, uh, writing that years later to the day he wrote that. And this is something that God warned them about back in Numbers 33, 55. We've already seen this verse, but let's read it again. God told the Jews, if you will not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it'll come to pass that those which ye let remain of them shall be pricks in your eyes and thorns in your sides, and they'll vex you in the land wherein you dwell. Now, if you're wondering what kind of pricks and thorns he meant... King David can tell you all about it in your next reference. Because in 2 Samuel 3, verses 2 and 3, it says, Unto David were sons born 
in Hebron. And his firstborn was Ammon of Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess. And his secondborn son was Chiliab of Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. You know, the churlish guy. <laughs> and the third, Absalom, the son of Mecca, the daughter of Talmai, king of Jeshur. And if Jeshur doesn't sound familiar to you, look back in your Bible at verse 13. Because the Jews failed to expel the Jeshurites. And that ended up being a major prick and thorn to King David because he married a Jeshurite and she gave birth to Absalom who gave David all kinds of pricks and thorns. We can't get into it. Absalom was a type of the Antichrist, folks. And you know what? A, a prick in your eye will cause you to cry, right? David wept over Absalom. So David would be the first to tell you that anytime you don't do all that God tells you to do, like drive out all the nations, well, then you better plan to get some spiritual back team for all the pricks and thorns that you're going to get. How old am I that I'm talking about Bactine? They still sell that. Neosporin. Get some Neosporin for your spiritual pricks and thorns. But now, when it came to dividing the land up among Israel's 12 tribes, one tribe was going to get the short end of the stick, as we see in verse 14 in your Bible now, the very next verse. Joshua 13, 14 says... Only unto the tribe of Levi he gave no inheritance. Why not? Well, as it goes on to say, the sacrifices of the Lord God of Israel made by fire are their inheritance, as he said unto them. Now, as you probably remember, the Levites were Israel's priests. And God didn't want his priests out farming land. He wanted them in the tabernacle offering sacrifices for the people who kept sinning and so they kept needing sacrifices. So God said, don't give the Levites any land. The privilege of offering burnt offerings, as it says there, that was their inheritance. The privilege of being God's priests. Problem is, that left them with no land to farm, no land to raise crops on to eat, no land to raise sheep and cattle and other things to milk and, and to eat. So how were they supposed to live? Well, you probably know this too, but in Numbers 18, verse uh, 23, it said, The Levites shall do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. It shall be a statute that they have no inheritance. The tithes of the children of Israel 
I have given to the Levites. That's their inheritance. Therefore, I have said unto them, among the children of Israel, they'll have no inheritance in the land. The Levites lived on the money that came from the other tribes in the, in the form of what the Bible calls tithes. And that's just a word for a tenth. The Jews were expected to give the Levites a tenth of all that they earned and all that they owned. And that's how it's going to be in the kingdom as well, as, I, as Ezekiel predicts in Ezekiel 44 and verses 15 and 28. The priests, the Levites, God said, I am their inheritance. Ye shall give them no possession in Israel. I am their possession. Now, we can't talk about tithing without saying that I know that most pastors today ask their people to tithe. But there's been a dispensational change since the time when God told the Jews to tithe. Today, God's ministers are allowed to work another job. They were forbidden in that day. You know, the first member of the body of Christ was the Apostle Paul, and he was a tent maker. And he encouraged other pastors to work a job outside of their ministry if they had to as well. So, so today there's no reason to demand that Christians tithe to pay the pastor. You can tithe if you want to. I'm not trying to stop you. But there's no law that says you have to. Your giving should reflect two things, folks. First, your income. Don't be given more than you can afford to give. And second, how much, how thankful you are for saving you, God saving you. Now, what follows in the rest of this chapter, it's a description of how the promised land was divided up between Israel's 12 tribes. So let's turn to chapter 14 and pick it up in the first five verses. Joshua 14 and verses 1 to 5. And these are the countries which the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, which... Eleazar the priest, and Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel, distributed for inheritance to them. By lot was their inheritance, as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. For the nine tribes, and for the half-tribe, for Moses had given the inheritance of the two and a half tribes on the other side of the Jordan River. We, we talked about that back in chapter 1 and chapter 2. But unto the Levites he gave none inheritance among them for the reason he did that. For the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. Therefore, that's why they gave no part to the Levites in the land. Save cities to dwell in. With, I mean, they had to live somewhere. 
with their suburbs for their cattle and for their substance. As the Lord commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did, and they divided the land. Now, what God is doing in verse 4 there is fixing a problem that came up when he decided that the tribe of Levi wouldn't have an inheritance in the land. You see, God wanted the land divided up into 12 sections, one for each of Israel's 12 tribes, right? And if the tribe of Levi didn't get any land, that would mean the land would be divided up into only 11 sections. Now, before we talk about how God fixed this problem, we need to talk about why God was so determined that the land be divided up into 12 sections. And for that, we have to look at a vision of the future that the Apostle John saw in Revelation 4 and the first four verses of that chapter. John says, I looked and a door was opened in heaven and a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne and round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. Now, the one sitting on the throne, obviously, in the center of all that, would be God, of course, the the ruler of heaven and earth. But as you can see, his throne is surrounded by 24 other thrones that must be thrones of men who rule under him because they're wearing crowns and sitting on thrones. And we know that 12 of those rulers rule the earth because of what it says in Deuteronomy 32.8. When the Most High God divided to the nations their inheritance... When he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. And the number of the children of Israel, folks, is 12. I mean, the nation Israel was named after a guy named Israel. (laughs) A guy named Israel who had 12 sons who fathered Israel's 12 tribes, making 12 the number of the children of Israel, right? And each of those 12 tribes had a ruler sitting on a throne in heaven representing them to God. But that means those 12 other thrones must be rulers of 12 sections in heaven. And that's why God is telling Joshua to divide the land into 12 sections, to match the way heaven is divided into 12 sections. 
And that brings us back to the problem of how to divide the land into 12 sections if one of the 12 tribes doesn't get a land. And verse 4 there gives us the answer when it says that the children of Joseph were two tribes. Joseph was one of Jacob's 12 sons. But instead of having Joseph father one of Israel's tribes, Jacob did something, something you read about in Genesis 48, 3, and 5. And you really got to be watching here to see what he's doing. Jacob said to Joseph, Thy two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, are mine. They're mine as Reuben and Simeon. They shall be mine. Well, Reuben and Simeon were two of Jacob's sons. So he was telling Joseph that he was adopting those two sons and making them the same as his other sons. That means that instead of having his son Joseph father a tribe, he was letting Joseph's two boys father two tribes. And that would make 13 tribes, at least when it came to dividing up the land. You know what that tells you? <laughs> that tells you that way back in the book of Genesis, God saw this problem coming and provided a fix for it. By the way, God also saw all of your problems coming and provided a fix for them. And the fix is found in the same book that that <laughs> fix was found in this book. The one we come to study every Sunday. But as the Jews were dividing the land among the 12 tribes there, a certain individual from the tribe of Judah is about to speak up and ask for a particular part of the land for himself. <laughs> and that's something that we read about in the next uh, four verses in your Bible again, in Joshua chapter 14, beginning in verse 6. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb, who was of the tribe of Judah, so he brought the whole family. <laughs> Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said unto Joshua, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me, Joshua, in Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren, those other spies, beside you and me, Joshua, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. And so Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely, Caleb, the land wherein thy feet have trodden 
will be your inheritance and thy children's forever because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. Well, here you see that Caleb is is not only asking for a certain part of the land, he says that Moses agreed to give him that certain part of the land. And he wasn't shy about telling us why he thought he should have it. (laughs) You know the story when Moses sent those 12 men into Canaan to, to spy out the land. Caleb and Joshua were the only ones to say that they could lick those giants who lived in Canaan. And Caleb figured that he should be rewarded for being able to, uh, for, for, for his faithfulness there by being able to choose where he lived. I mean, if you think about it, Joshua was rewarded for his faithfulness by being the, made the leader of Israel. And if you know the story, if you don't know the story, go home and read Numbers 13, I think it is. And you'll see that Caleb was actually the first one of him and Joshua to say, we can lick those giants. So he wants to be rewarded too. And as we're going to see in a minute, Joshua is going to agree with him and give him what he's asking for. And all of this, folks, is a type of the reward that faithful Jews are going to be awarded in the beginning of the kingdom of heaven on earth if they show the same kind of faithfulness that Joshua and Caleb showed. And as you know, we're studying a type of the beginning of the kingdom in our studies here in Joshua. Folks, someday the entire world is going to be divided up into 12 sections. And after that, the Lord's going to gather the Jews together and say things like you see in Luke 19 and verse 17. Well, thou good servant, well done. Because thou hast been faithful in a very little, have thou authority over Ten cities. The reward that faithful Jews are going to get is, the, is possession of the cities of the Gentiles. The mayor of the city of Stager someday is going to be a faithful Jew. Imagine that. <laughs> and we're about to see the, those rewards that you're reading about there in Luke 19 typified. When Caleb asks for and is given the city of Hebron, not Hebron, Indiana, you know, Hebron over there. But before he gets it, he starts saying things that don't seem to have anything to do with getting a reward. Look at verses 10 and 11. And now, Caleb goes on to tell Joshua, behold, the Lord... Uh, hath kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses. 
while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. He's 85 years old. But, in verse 11, he says, As yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day when Moses sent me, when I was 40. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now for war, both to go out and to come in. So, how come Caleb is going on and on about how strong he is? <laughs> well, the answer has to do with which city was he was asking for, and what we know about it in the last several verses of our text in verses 12 to 15. Now, therefore, give me this mountain, Caleb says, whereof the Lord spake in that day. For thou heardest in that day how the Anakims were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him, and gave unto Caleb the son of Jephunneh, Hebron for an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, unto this day, because of his faithfulness, because that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron before was Kirjath Arba, which Arba was a great man among the Anakims. And the land had rest from war. So Caleb is 85 years old. And the reward that he's asking for is a city in a mountain where a bunch of giants lived. <laughs> That's why he's talking about how much iron he can bench press and how strong he is. I mean, when he went to whoop up on the giants... God would make sure he won the fight, but listen, he still had to be able to, to swing the sword, right? So, here Caleb is, at an age when most men are asking for more pension and less tension. How'd you like that? I found that one online. <laughs> He's asking for more tension instead of more pension. He's asking for another mountain to climb in life. More work he can do for the Lord. I'll never be able to afford to retire, but I hope if I ever have to, that I'll... I'll what do you want me to do now, Lord? And I hope you feel the same way. But more work was, was, was his reward. And really, that's the same kind of reward you can expect if you're that faithful in life. When Paul says in your last reference that we're going to judge angels, hey folks, being a judge is hard work. But that's, that's what God plans to reward us with. More work when we get to heaven. But it is work that's an honor and a privilege. 
you know, I don't listen to the news, but even I heard that this past week, everybody was talking about the honor that our new Supreme Court judge was going to to receive, and, and it is an honor to serve on our nation's highest court. But it is nothing compared to the honor that God plans to bestow on you personally for all eternity. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for Joshua's faithfulness. Every time we crack the book, we're inspired by the faithfulness of your servants. And frankly, we're heartened by the fact that you don't hide their failures either. They're no better than us. But they were faithful. Father, we pray, despite all of our faults and shortcomings and all the rest that we might be found faithful. For the Apostle Paul tells us that it's required in your stewards that a man be found faithful. Give us that faithfulness, we pray in the Savior's name. Amen.